All right, why don't you uh, turn to Micah chapter 3, please. Micah chapter 3, we're going to attempt real hard to get through chapter 5. The book of Micah, once again, can be divided by the uh, repeated phrase, here now, in chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 3, 1, and 6, 1. Three messages. Um, verse 1 through 3, you have the present judgment that's going on uh, due to their um, turning their back upon God. Chapter 4 and 5 deal with the future blessing of the millennial kingdom. We saw some of that this morning in depth. In chapter 6 through 7, present repentance, because that's what God always is is, is asking. When he's revealing sin and when he's dealing with us or anyone else, it's always that we might turn from our sin. Uh, God doesn't just point out sin to just make us angry or to bother us, but to that we might agree with him, confess it, and get rid of it. I was talking to just a couple this morning. They're coming up and the guy's just all agitated. He's saying, you know, I just don't feel that we're right. I just feel here the church is all messed up. Well, wait, 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 what's going on? You know, the guy's living with the woman he's with. Well, what do you think? Why? No wonder you don't feel right. Things that are going on within the church today. You know, you can't be sleeping with your girlfriend. You cannot be committing adultery. You cannot be getting drunk. You cannot be getting loaded and think that everything's going to be okay. That's the way we used to live. If you want to continue like that, don't come to church. Go back in the world. Why would you want to straddle the fence? Why would you want to give a false understanding of the non-believer what a Christian is? And that's what we do. We give a bad witness. And so God deals with sin that he might forgive it. That's what he wants to do. And that he turn our hearts and give us the ability to live to his glory. And so here in chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, we have the foolish leaders of the nation. He says, Here now, O heads of, Ju- of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? So, here now, Shema, understanding, comprehension, they're to know, they're the leaders. This again is the second message. Directed to the leaders now. The declaration is an imperative. It's not a suggestion. They were to know the standard. They knew what they were to do. They were to be the heads. They were to be the leaders. They were the ones who were to instruct others. Certainly by instruction, but certainly by example. It's much easier to receive from someone and to have someone instruct you if you know that they're also living in and also doing it. Um, and that's always what God desires. He raises people up and he anoints them and he um, blesses them and gifts them. And, and, he, and he does the work in their lives. The uh, prosecuting attorney here bringing forth the general charges is God. He's not only the judge, but the prosecuting attorney here. The leaders of the 12 tribes, they had great responsibility People look up to them. They were to hold things in order, to look at the hearings, to look at the statutes, to look at the judgment, to deal with the affairs of the people. The question is rhetorical. 
There's only one answer. Yes. Is it not for you to know justice? Yes. You as parents do that with your children. I did it with mine as they grew up. What did I tell you? Was that right what you did? Now you're hoping you say no. But if he says yes, that's a bad answer. The rhetorical questions that are loaded questions have an obvious answer. The word justice there, again, is the act of making judgments. Equitable, righteous judgments. Notice in verse 2 and 3, you have the uh, condemnation of the leading men of Israel. He says, uh, you who hate good and love evil, who uh, strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, and also eat the flesh of my people, they flay their skin from them, break their bones, and chop them up in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Kind of reminds you of Isaiah. Remember Isaiah says contemporary. He speaks about uh, things like that and what they offered to God all messed up and all that. And here again, God charges them with having an ungodly character. They, they love evil and they, and they hate good. And, and we kind of see that in our day today. Um, and the reason is because uh, of their unjust deeds. It's a matter of character. Um, if you have people teaching morals and ethics and mores and norms that, are, that have right and wrong objective truth, <clears throat> then you have a society that functions pretty well. It protects itself. It purges itself. But when you throw away all the absolutes and you become very um, uh, situational and, and uh, relativity that's taken on our society like an immoral society completely, um, you know, not, there's no right and wrong. And in fact, if you stand up for right and if you say something's wrong, people call you a bigot. They say, how dare you judge me, this and that. And I, Are you kidding me? But that's the demonstration of a decayed society. They, they love evil. They hate um, good. Um, they love, the, love the, the sweet for the bitter and the bitter for the sweet. Isaiah speaks about that. Again, he's a contemporary, Isaiah 5.20. And we see it, and if you've been um, living uh, for the past 20 years in America, being at least 15 years old, you have seen the progression downward, the, uh, uh, the blacks and whites going to gray. Everything is just neutered completely. And certainly that's not um, a formula for a healthy society. And so God charged them with specific charges, the injustice against the people in verse 2 and 3 there. The imagery is that of an unfaithful shepherd, one who takes advantage of the sheep, and he just butchers them up. He makes benefit out of them. And how we see this so much today in the church as we see pastors who are really just more like having herds rather than sheep. You, 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 you drive cattle, but you lead sheep. You're to feed the sheep, not fleece the sheep. You're to prepare and to study all you can, even if one person comes to hear you. And if one person comes to hear you, you are most fortunate. But today's mindset is multitudes and lights and patting each other on the back and promoting yourself and all. This is the day that we're living in. And we see the results of it horribly within the church because we're competing with the world. And you can never compete, compete with the world when you're going to try to use the church as a platform. It corrupts the church. Now, 
Notice in verse 4 the desperation of the leading men of Israel. He says, uh, then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. So there comes a time when people cry out to God or they cry out for help. But sometimes it's just simply because of the consequences. Um, um, when you were growing up, you remember, you know, promising I'll never do that because you got busted. But you, you were really sorry about the consequences, not so much what you did. And if you got away with it, then you kind of just shine. Ah, well, no big deal. And you were right back to it. And, and so often a true repentance has nothing to do with the tears or the promises. God is very clear that if um, we regard iniquity in our hearts, he doesn't hear us. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 speaks about God's hands not short that he cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins are separated from God and he turns his back on us. First John, if we say we walk in the light, we walk in dark, we have not the truth, we make God a liar. We're talking about a habitual lifestyle this way. And we see the confusion as people go to church today practicing um, sexual sin or whatever it is. And they still go thinking nothing of it. And they, they are so open to even share it that they don't see that it's completely wrong because they've gotten a wrong understanding about Christianity today in our society. Where could they get that? Only from the pulpits of America. You don't get your religious instruction, your spiritual instruction from MTV. It's from the pulpits of America where it's coming from. The liberal progressive part of the church. And so in verse 5 through 8, you have the sins of the false prophets of the nation. And again, here's the, here's the problem. Not only the leaders, but those who are behind the pulpit, those who are representing God. He says, thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, they deviate, they, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouth. In other words, they're false prophets and want money. And they want to appear peaceful, you know, bless you, brother. But inside they're saying, I'm going to get you. And, you know, and they're just plotting how they're going to get you for not contributing to them. Right? Well, we see much of that in the church today. There's always sad stories and there's always building programs and there's always some things so that, you know, well, we're going to take a special offering today. We're going to pass a hat three times, you know. And I mean, it's just, it's never ending one way or the other. Any church ever pressure you to give, get up and walk out. God's word is free. You're part of the church. You attend somewhere. God is feeding you. You're being used there. Then you seek the Lord what you give to God. But don't let any man ever tell you what to give, how much to give, or to pressure you to give. God wants a hilarious giver from your heart. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Don't let anybody ever pressure you. God owns the cattle on every hill. <laughs> he takes care of his people. Where God guides, he provides. And so, um, these guys are hucksters. Um, verse 6 says, Therefore you shall um, have night without vision. You shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for, for them. In other words, God is going to cut them off here. They're not going to be receiving um, their, their, their uh, 
false direction from these demons and everything. Today we have channelers. Today we have contemplative prayer that's being taught in the church. Beth Moore is one of the biggest ones of that. Um, Rick Warren and all the emergent people. You're tapping into demons. That's the practice of the early church fathers from the Catholic Church, the 3rd, 4th, and 5th century. And so you've got having all this monasticism of, that's coming upon the church and the rituals of Catholicism being blended in. You have Protestants going back into the, the Catholic Church and there is just such confusion and just craziness today because people don't divide the word of truth with the word of God. And so they just say, well, I'm spiritual. Yeah, d- light or dark. The only way you can know which one's the right one is through the word of God. And so God was going to cut them off from here and they're going to be frustrated. Verse 7, so the seers shall be ashamed and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. Because they've been saying, you know, hey, you know, here in the northern kingdom that, you know, God's speaking to them. God's behind their words, this and that. And all of a sudden, God's going to cut them off. Judgment is coming. And now they're shocked they can't receive these visions and they can't receive these messages. And it's amazing. God's judgment was coming. Look at verse 8. But truly I am full of power. So now the prophet here in verse 8 distinguishes himself from the leaders. These false prophets. But truly I am full of power. By the Spirit of God and of justice and of might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So he's depending upon the Lord to give him his message. The revelation is directly from God. It is God who sees and knows all these things. God is the one who's directing the message exactly what is needed. He's merely the messenger. He distinguishes himself. The source of my message is directly from God. The source of these guys is not of God. They say it's of God. Doesn't make it God. The false prophets during Isaiah, they're in, in Jerusalem too. Now, Micah preached in Jerusalem, but he's going to the north also. Samaria and Jerusalem. Isaiah's there in the city, in Jerusalem. And he's warning. And he's telling the people to turn. But people listen, but they don't respond to God. And so here he makes this clear distinction between himself and those who are saying that they know God. Verse 9 says, Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all iniquity. Heavy charges from God. Who abhor justice. Anytime there's something that's decided right, they hate it. They pervert justice. Twist it, contort it. They're always looking how they can make a buck, how they can get the best advantage. We look to our court system. We look to the way people make decisions today based on politically correctness, on the culture, not wanting to offend the diverse minorities that have special interests. And so you who are righteous, you get judged corruptly for your righteous judgment. You are the bigot. You're the obstructionist. You're the one that's wrong. 
Because they always know that verse in the Bible, right? Judge not lest you be judged. So the Bible says not to judge. Yeah, if they knew the context, they wouldn't be opening their big mouth. But everybody knows that verse, right? Especially the non-believers. Verse 10, he says, Who build up Zion with blood, bloodshed, and Jerusalem with iniquity. So all these fancy buildings and everything they have, you know, they're just boasting. And they're saying, look at God's in this. Look at all this stuff. And yet, it's through robbery. It's through murder. Remember Ahaz, he took the vineyard of the Naboth, right? He couldn't get it. He's pouting. His wife Jezebel said, hey, what's the problem? What are you so sad about? Well, you know, this vineyard sure is nice, but he won't give it to me. Yeah, I'll, go. I'll get it for you. Raise up some false accusations against him, some scoundrels they ended up stoning them she comes back says hey Nabal's death go go get your vineyard but God was listening God was looking see all this stuff goes on in every nation in every generation but God sees everything it makes no difference no one gets away with anything and that's always the deception of sin because people seemingly get away with their evil that they actually get enticed to do more evil because pretty soon it starts looking like evil does pay off. Hey, you know, look what I got. I mean, I remember growing up, one of my friends, he had the, the best-looking car because he, um, he was in the business of Midnight Auto. You know, and he'd take your car apart in 15 minutes, wheels and transmission, right now. You come out the next morning, it's on milk crates. But um, it caught up with him. Caught up with him. No one gets away with anything. Not at all. And so, verse um, 11. Um, her heads judge for bribes. Her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and they say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. Wow. Now if you turn on channel 40, you see some of these guys there. I'm amazed when I first came to the Lord in the early 70s, Pastor Chuck used to just rank on all these guys. And all the Calvary pastors were just, you know, we were all young. Yeah, you know, Chuck came out of the four-square denomination. He, he saw the hypocrisy. He saw all the carnality. And now that a lot of these guys are big dudes, now they don't want to say anything because now they're in the same position. They don't want to make waves and ruffle the feathers. Well, I don't really care. You think God's happy about what's going on in the church? I don't think so. Should we fear man rather than God? God forbid. Should we think that the pulpit is just a place to shoot our big mouth? We better not. If we speak, we better know what we're talking about. And we better be absolutely sure when we accuse somebody of certain things, right? But it's not hard to figure out. Listen to their words. Listen to their message. Judge it to the word of God. And you can mark them like the false prophets that are here. 
manipulating the people, merchandising the people. And so, 12, conclusion, Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mounds of, uh, of the temple like bare hills of the forest. The judgment that was coming of the land in Mount Zion, the temple, the city, was because of them. You remember when God gave them the land? He says the land is spitting, spewing these people out. There comes a time when people live so corruptly, so degenerately that the land can no longer hold the people. The society just disintegrates. It falls apart. Nothing can be done. Stop and think about it. Today, you've got to be so politically correct that you cannot, you literally in the unions can't fire someone unless they would murder somebody, especially in the school board or the school unions. Then on the other hand, you, wherever you work, if you don't go along with the political correctness, you can be accused of a hate crime and you can be put out and demanded to go to anger management course, which, by the way, is a felony in your record. Wow. Now, how long do you think a society can, can hold up under those type of corrupt rules and laws and principles? There will come a time when nothing will be able to get done. When rats multiply, they start eating each other. Remember that. All the big rats in the universities that indoctrinated all these kids in liberal progressivism, now it's coming home to them. Now when they don't give them that they want, they demand their resignation. Rat starts eating rats. Simple. Everything falls apart. What was attractive now is very destructive. What seemed to be productive really isn't productive at all. It's self-serving. And so the judgment that is coming upon um, Zion, Jerusalem, the temple, the mountain, bear. Now, Assyria is going to take the northern kingdom in captivity. Judah is still about 115 years away from them. But God's declaring it. He's warning all in advance. Now, remember that uh, Noah preached for 100 years, right? 120, literally, if you look at it. So God always gives advance warnings long, long time. He, he's in no hurry to judge. He gives plenty of warning that no one may ever say to him, you know, you... Um, you really never gave us enough warning. Every time there's judgment, that God has brought judgment, as you look at the evidence, there's always plenty of warning that God has given. And so, as we move into chapter 4, the Lord's reign in Zion now. Remember, 4 and 5, now we move into the millennial kingdom. And there's so many passages we've already covered with... Uh, with Amos and Hosea and Joel, um, Obadiah, about the millennial kingdom. He's already touched on it also in chapter 2 towards the end. And so here chapter 4, he says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days 
that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and the peoples shall flow to it. Again, he's talking about the kingdom age. Um, this is after the Lord returns at the second coming. This is when um, he has destroyed the nations. And here he gives a lot of detail. And here um, you have the sharp contrast of the last verses of chapter 3 of what's going to happen to the Temple Mount and Jerusalem. And now here you have now in the Millennial Kingdom, the whole earth is redone. I mean, there's, there's, there's still going to be sin, but... Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning. We, the church, are glorified with him. Israel occupies all the land. All the promises are given to Israel. Uh, the uh, animal kingdom is no longer fierce. Uh, the lamb and the lion and the child play together. He leads them. And, and, and um, you know, the, the lion is not chasing the kid to eat him. And the lamb is not in the lion, but walking with the lion. And so it's going to be. And, and then the, the child is going to die at 100 years old. Isaiah uh, read Isaiah's. Um, 65, Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 2. There's so many passages about the kingdom age. And so here again, the contrast, and here the uh, exaltation of the house of the Lord. So the, the worship center of the world is going to be Jerusalem, as we said this morning. Now, right now as church, we go out, right? The Old Testament was centripetal. They were to bring people in as proselytes into the nation. Israel failed. Because she put that badge of self-righteousness looking down on the Gentiles. We, the church, are centrifugal. We go out to the nations. In the millennial kingdom, all the nations will come to Jerusalem. <laughs> you won't have to worry about go preaching the gospel. <laughs> okay? So God brings it back. And so this is the, the thousand-year reign. Um, there's phrases that will be repeated in that day. It's talking about the millennial kingdom. Um, so this term, the latter uh, days, is speaking about uh, sometimes the last half of the trib Great Tribulation. And here in this context, he's talking about the Millennial Kingdom. And so the mountains and the hills here to be exalted is talking about the worship center and the authority of the whole world for the, all the nations of the world will be there in Jerusalem. There, there will be no other. Jesus will be reigning and ruling and. um Jerusalem will be uh, the place where all people flow into completely. And so in verse 2, he says, Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So this is the very words of the people that he's quoting. There will be a desire. Remember that th these people that occupy the kingdom age are those who have not taken the mark of the beast. And they repopulate, have children, and people have to repent and be saved. Animal sacrifice will be brought in again. Why? We don't know. We believe it's commemorative because Jesus Christ is there. He's the Lamb of God. And, um, and here, everybody just goes up. In fact, Zechariah, we read this morning where if you don't go up, you get no rain. The nations that don't go up. Um, and God will deal with people severely. And so here again, the desire of the people, it's a whole different thing, even though they will still have sin nature and there will be death and sin, but Jesus will deal with it promptly and we're reigning with him. And yet, under this new world, the way that Jesus is going to redo it, 
um, it's going to be a whole, we can't even imagine anything like that. You know, where you wouldn't have to lock your house maybe or, you know, you leave your keys in your car or whatever. <laughs> there was a time you could do that. Um, today, if, if you leave it, you won't, you won't, it won't be there when you get back. Um, and so here again, um, and the whole purpose is to learn the ways of God, spiritual instruction. This is for the whole world. Not today. People say, well, you know, we shouldn't push our religion or our beliefs or your Christianity, you know, and we just, you know, everybody, everybody, everybody's belief is right. And no, no, it isn't. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father by me. And if you say that there's other ways besides Jesus, that you're a false teacher, you're a false prophet. You're a liar, you're a deceiver. That's pretty heavy. I didn't come up with it, Jesus did. It's just that simple. You mean you believe the Bible absolutely? Yes, I do. I believe my eternity depends on this Bible. Faith is what I believe about God, what He has revealed. So faith, biblical faith, points me back to the revelation of God. It has nothing to do with my feelings, my emotions, my opinions, my gut feelings. It has to do with what God has revealed to be true and not true. When he told me that he sent the son to die for me and he paid the price of my sin, the question is, do I believe it or not? God is not saying, can you figure it all out? Can you see how it worked? He's saying, do you believe my revelation? If you do, that's faith. You believe what I've revealed. If it's not according to the revelation of God's word, then it's foolishness. It damns you. It holds no authority over God. And so again, it's the plumb line. Nothing else. And of course, the teaching would be to walk in the path in obedience. That authority and the instruction from God there, from the Lord, from Jerusalem. Okay? All this turmoil about Jerusalem and Israel right now and everybody's against her. Uh, well, things are going to change. In verse 3... Uh, it says, He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So, here again, God will judge the nations. The world will experience righteousness, justice through the Lord Jesus Christ. He will rule them with a rod of iron, Revelation 2.27 tells us. And the entire military budget of the nations will be turned to agriculture. Now, we spend a lot of money on weaponry and warfare and all that. And it's necessary in a world that is so evil and so fallen. What to God we wouldn't have to spend all the money on an army or a navy or an air force to defend yourself. But if you don't, you will be destroyed because we live in a fallen world. The United Nations have this verse in their building. It's off the wall. That's for the millennial kingdom. The United Nations, the United Nothings, they, they're the biggest culprits of warfare. They're the most guilty of allowing people to be killed without defending themselves. Look them up. Study their policies. 
It's amazing. And we as Americans flip the entire bill. Without us, they wouldn't exist. The verse is identical to Isaiah 2.4. And you, you can compare a lot of this, these verses with Isaiah. He's a contemporary. Joel has just the opposite for the battle of Armageddon in Joel 3.10. So right now, it's necessary to be cautious and to arm yourself. You shouldn't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. But I know there are people who don't care if they hurt you or not. And so you have to use good common sense. Jesus even told his disciples, now go sell the staff, whatever, and go buy a sword, he said. As he was leaving, persecution was coming. So there is no way you want to go hurt anybody. But if someone is attacking your wife, I presume you're not going to get on your knees and pray. I presume you're going to defend your wife and then maybe have to pray for the guy for healing. Okay? Common sense is just that simple. Verse 4. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So there there will be no need because Jesus will be ruling. We will be reigning with him. The whole world will be under his authority. And things will be taken care of. It makes a big difference. If we had that right now, we wouldn't need to have an army, Marines, Navy, or Air Force. We wouldn't have to have a police department. (laughs) But as you look at our world getting more evil, you realize that even now the policemen and those in authority that are there to protect us are being thrown under the bus. And so the whole spirit of the world and our nation is to pit people against one another. Black against white, rich against poor, employee against employer. Federal officers against local officers. That's it. The people against educators, educators against people. It's simple. Divide and conquer. It's a simple principle. And so what ends up at the end is the attitude of survivalist. You only look out for yourself. You're not really caring to do the right thing. You're just caring that it doesn't affect you. That's wrong. Absolutely wrong. If we would have felt that way and never got into World War II, what do you think would have happened to Europe? But we acted. Now, I think that we probably made many mistakes after World War II because we got haughty and we became lazy and we became complacent and we corrupted ourselves. And so there's always a danger to being number one. There's always a danger in being wealthy. There's always the danger in being the most powerful. Pride just destroys people. Yet if you're looking to the Lord, then God can use all that for his glory, his honor. But the minute you stop depending on the Lord, you start looking to yourself, then things start changing. Attitudes, actions. The end justifies the means now. No longer is the plumb line the word of God. But now it's just, you know, if it works or not. 
if it's right in your own eyes or not. And that's absolutely wrong. And so, verse 4 says, But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. And so here again, during the millennial kingdom, the promise of righteous justice and the common Hebrew symbol here of Israel, um, the fig and the vine, and this particularly speaks about the time when they're at peace, they're sitting under the fig tree, their vine, just kicking back on a hammock, you know, eating some grapes, and there's no danger, they're not being attacked, they don't have to run. This is a figure of the millennial kingdom for Israel. Now, they haven't had this kind of peace at any time since they rejected Jesus Christ. You're aware of that, right? Now, pockets of Jews have, and certainly Jews were more protected here in America than anywhere else, but do you know who is, who is persecuted more than anything else in America? Not the blacks. Not the Mexicans. Not the Oriental. It's the Jew. Still, it's amazing to me. Anti-Semitism from the pit of hell. And much of that comes from the quote-unquote church today. Because they believe in replacement theology. That the church is true Israel and God is through with Israel. Are you kidding me? Then, So chapter 4 and 5, really, we should just tear them out of Micah. Because God's through with Israel. I don't think so. When you have that theological perspective, then you interpret everything crooked and corrupt. You have to be careful. There's a difference between the wife that's been put away and the virgin bride who's looking for a wedding. Two big differences. And so, verse 5 says, now, before I go on, notice the mouth of the Lord, the Lord of hosts has spoken. The captain of the armies of heaven has said it. The ultimate authority. Because he's the one that will destroy those armies. For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So, prior to the millennial, the Gentiles lived for many different gods. People shape their gods after their own image. They make God after their own likeness. And then they set it up in a statute or they live after their philosophy of what their God would be like. And, and that's just it. For some people, God is just love, you know, and just love. And as long as you love, you can do whatever you want. And, you know, it's what, the, you know, the heart, you know, you know. And then we sound so nice and everything. But it doesn't hold any water. If it's God's love, then it has to have a standard. It has to be God's word. And if it's human love, it's going to be corrupted all the time. All the time. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. This is the Jew where the blinders are now removed from them. No longer blindness. The partial blindness that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 9. has been removed chapter 11 verse 24, 25. Blindness in part is having this until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And it's at this time, the last half of the great tribulation, when their eyes are open in Israel, Revelation 12, 6, flees to the wilderness, Isaiah 16, 1 through 4, the city of Petra or Selah, God will provide for her. And the remnant, the remnant, 
will be saved. And so, verse 6 to 7, the blessing of Israel and the millennial, it says, And in that day, in that day, the millennial kingdom, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcasts, and those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Zion from now on, even forever. Them is the Jew. Man Zion is Israel. You cannot twist this stuff. What do you do if you say that God is through with Israel? What do you apply this to? New York? Los Angeles? Or maybe Palestine? There's no such land, Palestine. The Romans named the land of Israel Palestine because they hated the Jews and put the last rebellion away in 135 B.C. And they named it after their enemies, the Philistines. So anybody who was left after they killed so many and sold them into slavery and just salted the land, they named it Palestinia to insult them and left the remnant of Jews there and they were named Palestinians as an insult. No Arab ever considered himself a Palestinian until 1950-something when Yasser Arafat began in this whole lie about Palestine being a nation. When, have you ever seen um, a, a Palestinian um, um, hall of fame, a museum, or... Anything else? There's, there's never been anything like that. It's all recent. There's nothing in the past about it. None at all. And so it's made up history. There's no such thing. And so now you have the church teaching that Jesus was a Palestinian. Really? Wow. You see, you're off one degree and you keep going off further and further. And you're before you're Noah, you're across the tracks. You're not even on the road. You don't even stick to the wall. And so, it is very, very clear. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even to the former dominion shall come, and kingdoms of the slaughter of the daughter of Jerusalem. In other words, uh, God is going to renew her. God is going to give her her former dominion, even as in the days of David, his share. This is the millennial kingdom. God will destroy the nations as he returns. God will set up the kingdom. God will be there ruling through the person of Christ. I believe David will be ruling also. We didn't even get into that this morning. There's passages that that Jesus cannot fulfill. I believe David will be reigning next to Jesus. There's verses that they cannot be fulfilled by Jesus. It has to be David. That's an interesting concept. And we went through the millennial kingdom. We, We saw that. And so, here again, verse 9, the 13, you have the uh, chastening before the restoration. He says, uh, now why do you cry aloud, is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth the daughter of Zion like a woman in birth pangs. For now... You shall go forth from the city, you shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered, there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And so here 
in verse 9 and 10, the Babylonian captivity is being declared, as well as the deliverance, God's faithfulness. Now, remember that Micah is speaking during the captivity of the northern kingdom. Judah doesn't go in for a hundred and some years still. Okay? But he's declaring it as sure as, as if it's going to happen tomorrow. With certainty. He's speaking ironically here in a rebuke to them. Because they have brought all this upon themselves. Their complaint was too late. It was self-inflicted. Their short-term judgment was as sure as giving birth to a child. As they were carried away to Babylon. Remember Hezekiah showed all his house to those who came who heard that he had been healed. And he showed them everything. And Isaiah says, who were those guys? And he told them, well, they're just from Babylon. Now, Babylon was no world empire. It was no threat. Assyria was a power. And Isaiah says, listen carefully. They're going to come back one day. They're going to take all your gold, silver, everything else. And they're going to take all your children and make them eunuchs. And Hezekiah simply said, well, at least it won't be in my lifetime. Wow. Again, bypassing Assyria. Going all the way to Babylon. That's not even a world power. It's no big deal for God to declare the end from the beginning. He, he knows everything completely. Zedekiah, was, remember he was the last king and he wouldn't pay attention to Jeremiah. And you know he allowed Jeremiah to be beaten, to be mocked and to be accused falsely of being a traitor. He threw him in a cistern and, um, and he wouldn't pay attention. And he would call Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you know, they're a word from the Lord. And yeah, I told you, but you don't want to listen. And um, Zedekiah tried to run away. He was caught taking the ribla. And there they um, killed his children. Last thing on his eyes that he saw, his son slain. Then they plucked his eyes out. He wouldn't listen. He, he went with the false prophets. He went with the program. One of the things that we are lacking today in America is the um, simple aspect of character to stand alone, regardless of what. To have courage to stand for truth. To have courage to stand for the underdog. To have courage to say that is absolutely wrong. And that's lacking in America. And when that is lacking in society, the society cannot stand for long periods of time. It's impossible. But even in the midst of this judgment, God speaks about the deliverance. God was going to deliver them from Babylon. Now, those that went into Assyria, they would equal, equally be in Babylon because Babylon would take all that area. Assyria was all that area of, of uh, Iran, Iraq, um, uh, used to be Persia, Iran, and then Pakistan, all that area. And they would end up in Babylon. So when they came back, God brought them back as one nation. God will have only one nation when he establishes the millennial kingdom. No north and south, but one nation made of the remnant. 
And so in verse 11, you have the long-term restoration in the great tribulation after the nations gather against Israel. So he's gone back to the short term, now the long term again. So the prophet goes from his contemporary time, now he goes back to the latter times. Okay? So you've got to follow it here. Verse 11, he says, Now also many nations, see the plurality, he went from one, Babylon, now to plurality of nations, have gathered against you, who say, let her be defiled, and let our eyes look upon Zion. Now we, Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14 are just filled with things. The whole book of Zechariah, I can't wait till we get there. It's just a great book. And prophecies about the whole world hating Jerusalem and God making her a burdensome stone. And how God will fight for Israel. He will destroy the nations that attack her. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is just waiting to happen. Gog and Magog. God will put the hooks in her jaws and bring her forth with her Islamic confederacy to attack Israel. That will happen simultaneously when the rapture happens. We get removed here. Russia attacks. The day of the Lord begins. The seven year tribulation begins all at one time. And the Antichrist is on the scene. The mighty man with all the solutions. And everything that's moving to a one world market, one world bank, one world money, one world stupidity, it'll be all set up for him. Everything's being set up. And they talk about economic problems. Well, they're going to have a lot of money when a bunch of Christians are gone. They can have my car, they can have my house, they can have... Everything in my coffee cup. So they're going to be in pretty good shape. A lot of people are going to be gone from the roles of Social Security. Medicare. <laughs> A lot of people that pay their plots to be buried or cremated. They can be sold again. <laughs> This is what the world does. This is how the world thinks. And so we see today how the Jew is hated. No Arab nation, no Muslim country has a map up on the wall with the nation of Israel present on it. It's not there. They don't recognize Israel as a nation. They have sworn to destroy the nation. To drive every Jew into the sea. They have no problem saying it. Openly. And the world says nothing. Politically correctness. Intimidation and fear. It makes people cowards. The majority of our world has back problem. They have a yellow streak down it. That's the problem. We see it in the world. We see it in nations. We see it in political arena. We see it in heads of home. We see it in education. We see it everywhere. We can't wait. They're gathered against and say, let her be defiled. 
hatred. Let our eyes look upon Zion. They want the whole land. They don't want a piece of the land. They want the whole stinking land. This whole issue about land and this, it's all a lie. If you gave them 98% of the land, they would still not be happy. They just want the whole land and they don't want Jew one, they do not want one Jew left on the earth. The Quran commands to go find the Gentile, the Jew, and kill him. It's the only world religion that has world conquest in mind. No other. It's the only one. Always has. It has never changed. And so, verse 11. Now all so many nations have gathered. To, I'm sorry, verse 12. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel. For he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. In other words, they don't understand that all this plotting, all this hatred and all that. They're just setting themselves up. God's going to judge them. God's going to wipe them out. When Russia attacks in the beginning and then when the nations at the end of the tribulation period come against Jerusalem. And they're going to do some damage and they're going to kill a lot of people. Zechariah tells us, chapter 12, that two of three Jews will die. One of three will survive. That, that puts the Holocaust as a shadow, as insignificant. So the, the more difficult days for Israel are ahead. The chastening before the restoration, before the millennial kingdom. Why? Because they rejected the Messiah. He came to his own, his own received them not. Jesus says the one comes in his own name, Antichrist, him you will receive. Daniel 9, 27, Israel makes a covenant with the Antichrist. Wow. Amazing. They do not know the thoughts of the Lord Yahweh, nor they understand his counsel, his plans, his devices, for he will gather them like sheaves, to the threshing floor. Now the command, arise and thresh, O daughters of Zion, for I will make your horn iron. I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. Now, iron speaks iron horns, horns of power. And bronze is always judgment. So God will use Israel and enable Israel in that day to defeat and to be set up as the nation of the millennial kingdom. God enables them. God is going to use them. God is going to consecrate them unto himself. We know the 144,000 that God's going to use during the Great Tribulation. Um, the two witnesses, I believe, is Enoch and Elijah. They've never died. And there's going to be great revival during the Great Tribulation. Greater revival than ever before. Many are going to be saved. Many are going to have to die. And how they're going to die, it says, by decapitation. Interesting, Islam does that all the time now, right? And the cowardly world does nothing about it, right? After all the justification, look at the crusades, right? Uh, there was a girl who just interviewed me this week um, for a college class of Cal Poly Pomona. 
And I was sharing with her that um, the world is so confused, they attribute Christians as the ones who are guilty for persecuting Islam, the Crusades. I said, and that's absolutely false. It was the Catholic Church who did that, not Christians. Christians don't kill people because they don't want to believe them. If I share the gospel with you and you tell me where to go, I don't hate you. I'm not going to jump on you and smack you. I'm not going to go get a gun and kill you. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pray for you. Now, religious people, they'll kill you. Religious people will kill you right now. No. Even make the sign of the cross, you know. Santa Maria, Madre de Dios. You know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. But Christians weren't responsible for the crusade. But they look at the Catholic Church and call it Christianity. It is not. The present Pope is a Jesuit priest, one of the worst evil orders of the Catholic Church. Guy's out to lunch. And he doesn't even have a bag for it. Argentinian. Jesuit. Progressive liberal. We all serve the same God. I don't think so, Popey. I don't think so. Wow. Crazy world. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. God wins at the end. He always wins. And God's people can't lose. You see? And so whatever it is that this world offers us, there's nothing wrong with it if we gain it legitimately, honestly, to the glory of God with hard work and integrity. But if I'm going to go after things that are going to compromise my character and integrity, just to have those things, then what does it profit me if I gain the whole world and lose my soul? Absolutely nothing. You know, when you're 12, 13, 14, or 15, or 18, you know, when you were 13, you, when I grew up, 16, you could get your license. 15 and a half, you can get a permit. So from 13 to 15 and a half was an eternity. Then you got 16, all right, license. Then it was from 16 to 18, because 18, you could say after 10 o'clock at night, out, without the cops picking you up. Curfew. And then from 18 to 21, that was another eternity. Then you could drink. Then you can walk in the bars and everything. What a bunch of sad goals we had in life. But then you get up there 25, 30, and all of a sudden you pick up speed. And before you know it, you're 40, 50, 60. You say, what the heck happened here? And you get a little old and you look back and you go, you know, all this stuff, it's really not worth a darn. Nothing wrong with the house, nothing wrong with the car, nothing wrong with money or some clothes, but I hope you're not living for it. I hope you're not putting all your stock into that stuff. You know what I mean? When when you die, they're going to bury you not even with shoes. Everything you have is going to be left behind. 
And sometimes people work so hard and they're concerned they can't even enjoy it because they're worried, what fool is going to waste my wealth? Read Ecclesiastes Solomon. What, what moron is going to just waste my wealth, he says. All the hard work I've done. And so you live for things and the things end up killing you. And so, by the grace of God, we have the ability to be able to look at things in the right perspective. But we have to hold them in tension, and we have to continually work at it and deny our flesh and have the Lord direct us, because it doesn't take me long to get into the flesh, right? One thousand a second, I'm there right now. And that's why we have to deny our flesh. We have to reckon the old man dead and be filled with the Spirit of God, be renewed in our mind. Stay in the Word, stay in prayer, stay in fellowship, stay in the trenches, stay reaching people, praying for people, using for opportunities to minister the gospel. Everything else doesn't matter. Yes, we got to go to work, we got to mow the lawn, we got to feed the dog, whatever it is. But, you know, the priority is your relationship with Jesus Christ, your children, your grandchildren, your wife, your husband, your friends that are lost. That's the priority of life. The rest is... Neither here nor there, and it's more there than here. <laughs> it's just the way it is. So, we didn't make it to five. It's okay. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your love, and your grace. Lord, we just thank you for just your word. Thank you for every person here tonight, and I pray that you speak to us, Lord, and that as you minister to us, Lord, and the, the great glory that we're going to see come to uh, this earth, the majesty, the, the incredible uh, order, and just the world itself, how you will change it, Lord. And we just thank you that you've showed us these things before they come to pass. And so, Lord, we pray tonight, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that we speak to them. Lord, maybe over the Internet, that they would call on your name to be saved. If you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. If God has spoken to you and allowed you to see your position as a sinner in need of Christ, that you believe that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, then you can call upon him and he says he will forgive you for your sins and make you a child of God by grace through faith. And if that's your decision, then that's a good decision. Right where you sit right now, whether you're here or over the internet, you can accept Christ and be born again. This is your prayer to Him. And He's going to do that work right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.